Luke chapter 2, verse 43. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew it not. When they fulfilled the days, they left. And Jesus was in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew it not. I pray that for the salvation of people, your faith, what God wants to do in your life, will come to fruition in this day, in this moment. Someone would be rescued by the word of God. There's a lifeline here. The Lord's going to throw it out to you. All you have to do is grab a hold of it. He'll bring you to safety. He wants to change your life. There's not another place you can be in this world that's better than the place you're in right now to hear the preached word of God. It's not me, but it's him. You got to hear him. I preach today, page two. And everyone said in Jesus' name. God bless you. Turn to someone and be kind to them before you're seated. Would you do that? Thank you so much. I often think it's tragic to confine the most important birth in human history to a few weeks in December. Hmm. Christmas in America has its own regulations of which can be debated as commercial or industrial if we like. But come January... The lights that attended to the season are taken down or they are replaced with some other decor in preparation to that next American special holiday where hearts are shared. And there it is, a few days in our society, even the church, will skip on to yet another year. I am aware that the last thing on our mind in June is the birth of Jesus Christ. Unless, of course, you're still paying off. (laughs) But I am led by the Holy Spirit to reflect on the moments of that open testament. We won't consider the month of December or the trappings of gifts and parties, but... There is a drawing to the day that changed the course of a million animal sacrifices and the desperate days of atonement that waned in the time of Malachi. Four centuries of silence and then comes this bombast that was the birth of Jesus Christ. Not even the poetic pen of the Pulitzer can describe the days surrounding the virgin birth. Think of it. 
the invisible God, would wrap himself in flesh and appear in human form. It is beyond the thought of mortal man. He was called Emmanuel, which in its purest form means God is one of us or Jehovah is among us as a man. I have many Bibles in, in my office, both at home and at church. One of my Bibles has a numbering system for pages. Luke chapter 2 is often presented in different page numbers. On one Bible, it's page 660. In another Bible, Luke chapter 2 is found on page 1790. But if I look at the chapter, in a particular Bible, there are only two pages that cover the transition of the story. I'll help you with this. Page 1 covers the decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Page 1 features the worldwide power of the Roman Empire. Page 1 entails Joseph's arrival in Bethlehem and the subsequent birth of the Christ child. And there it is. The day that the earth paused in its place to witness its own creator appear in the form of the same creation in which he had created. That mind-bending moment will host a recognition of the angels of heaven. It's all on page one. Magi from the east are traveling in hopes to find him. Shepherds are rushing in and a star becomes a guiding light for those who seek him. All of it again on page one. Mary has been visited by the angel of the Lord. The archangel Gabriel is sent to declare the incarnation. And Joseph's dreams have guided his pure heart to accept the impossible. The conception defies the laws of all reproduction, reproductive science and sensibilities. And yet, the word of God was true. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. There was no precedent for it. And there has been no future reiteration or occurrence of it. Page one always features a one-off. It is singular in nature. Page one is a moment in time hard-pressed to repeat. Mary and Joseph, they are living in the moment. This child is unlike any that will ever be born. He is unique This small and vulnerable baby which they cradle in their arms. And yet he is the host of the omnipotent ancient of days. Those swirling natures of God and man bound together by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Page one. She can't take her eyes off of him. She sees something in him that cannot be explained. All of his physical features have come from her. But there is yet another spirit in him that knows no bounds. Page one. Shows Jesus as a typical boy with a non-typical demeanor. He's living a dual existence. And Mary and Joseph are mesmerized at these inexplicable days of Jesus. The temporal and immortal growing up in their home. All of the fanfare of wonder and majesty is there in that script. It's filled with witnesses in the temple and with Elizabeth, her cousin alike, who herself was too old to bear children. But an angel had visited her also to say that she will have a son and his name shall be called John. Angels are everywhere on page one, delivering messages and setting forth the agenda of the eternal spirit. The heavenlies are brim with transparent and supernatural activity. And as we know, whenever there is supernatural activity from above, there is also resistance from below. 
Herod the king has set the tone of vengeance and retribution. In his anxious attempt to preserve his own monarch, he will kill the most innocent among the people. Some two years and younger die in his attempt. It's all on page one. The whole countryside is filled with fear. Baby boys are being slaughtered with a dragnet of hate against Herod's perceived coming coup. The wise men from the east are warned in a dream to go home by another way. And again, dreams and angels, the spirit colliding with humanity to safeguard the fragile beginning of the incarnate God. Wow, it's incredible. It seems so much greater than just a Sunday morning December sermon. The Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. Everyone who has ever lived and all who would live rest their hopes of redemption on the life of this Christ child who has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He will be a lamb without spot, but he will also be a lamb without rebuttal by the cruelest of deeds to a place called Calvary a mere 33 years in his future. Page one. It is the commencement Not only of his coming death, but also of his coming resurrection. And to think that Mary and Joseph are right there living it out in real time. They don't even know the future, but they are keenly aware of their present. They are living out this incomprehensible child, unfathomable and altogether unexplainable wonder of this God-man that they hold in their arms. Jesus, the consolation of Israel, a light to the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel, the I am inhabiting the restraints of skin, muscle, and tissue. Page one, there is nothing like it. But in those Bibles that grace my bookshelf, one of them features another page. The story is split between pages. Luke chapter two has two different pages, page one and page two. I'll read to you what concludes page one. And when they had performed all the things according to the law, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. But turn the page. And this is what happened. Jesus is now 12 years old, and there are more children in the house of Mary and Joseph. Herod is gone. The fear has subsided. There's no need to hide from this wicked man or his hand. There are no dreams or angels left. The scripture becomes silent of the supernatural things that once attended to page one. Page two is where life becomes routine. James, the son of both Mary and Joseph, has been born. The half-brother of Jesus, he's growing up also. And there are other half-siblings. None of them have features that are found on page one. There is no wonder or mystery surrounding their birth. It is a natural birth. They are all come. They all come into this world in the most natural of ways. Page two. Life is typical. There are yearly trips to Jerusalem, back and forth, festivals three times a year. There's work waiting for them when they get back home. There are friends and community around them. There are duties and chores and dinners to make and water to be drawn from wells and rivers and streams. Fishing occurs against the shoreline of the oft-intemperate Sea of Tiberias. Page two is a look into schedules. And whether they intended such a thing or not, the second and third child clouds the wonder of the first child. Life has its demands, after all. 
There are deadlines and daily responsibilities. And even though Jesus was atypical, there are social needs pressing against the aging Joseph and yet still young Mary. And it looks like the awe of the Lord has faded from their eyes because on the way back from a Passover feast, they are leaving Jerusalem They are communicating with their friends. They're having adult conversations. They're gathering up the youngest of the children. And Jesus is missing and they don't even know it. Here is the introduction of page two. I read it to you. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew it not. You see... That's what happens when you turn the page. It's easy to do. It happens when you move from fervency to return. It happens when you journey from expectation to obligation. Life piles up and worship becomes a practice and not a privilege. I get it. Jesus used to be the center of every thought. Your thought, his eyes, held the deepest of mysteries of the eternal almighty which was and which is and which is to come. The angels All attended to it. The Alpha and Omega looked out beyond those dark and temporal lens. By his own divine order, humanity grew in wisdom while his omniscience was held at bay. Perhaps Mary saw it from time to time when he was young, a glimpse of the sovereign dance in his eyes of her three-year-old son. Maybe the Lord said something that no four-year-old would ever know Or have the ability to say it was on page one. He just pauses there as he holds her hand and stares off into the midnight sky to behold the wonders of his own voice. And then on a dime turns to find himself asleep on the soft blanket provided by his earthly father. Mary and Joseph knew where he came from. They knew he was unlike any other human being on the planet. But time has a way of diluting even the most profound revelations, both of them and of us. Hear me now. Time. Given enough time, people move away from the mystery. Many who relish the moments found on page one will be swallowed up by the mundane found on page two. It's not just detrimental to us, but God takes notice of anemic passion among his people. That's what, what, that is what he said and what he had against the church at Ephesus. The Lord said, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. John the revelator wrote it. The Lord said, I want to commend you. In your works, they're good. Your labor is right, he, he, he says. Even when evil things came your way, you exercised patience. You had good judgment when false leaders and preachers and brethren tried to come in among you. You cast them out. The Lord said in Revelation 2-3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and you've not grown weary. But I have a problem with you, Ephesus. You've lost your first love. You left the wonder of your beginning and you've drifted off into the monotonous. Can you hear me today speak this word into your life? When you started out, it was all about the 
church. You couldn't think of anything but the church. You died to get there. You wanted to get there. You were sorry that Monday came around. Prayer was something you looked forward to. You couldn't wait to open up your mouth to find a brand new scripture. You did whatever you could to be involved. It didn't matter what the task was. Page one happened when you had a need so overwhelming that you are desperate for God. You needed, you needed an answer so you came to the altar because your job was in jeopardy. Because your marriage was struggling. Because one of your children became wayward and lost. Because you were sick and you needed help. And you had an incurable disease. Something happened and you needed an answer. It didn't matter who saw you or who was around you. You came to worship and praise. You didn't care what anybody else did. You didn't care if people snarled at you because you were on page one. You loved the Lord with all of your heart, your mind, your body, your soul, your strength. You didn't get enveloped in the world because you said, I got to get to the Lord. I'm pressing. I got to get to God. But page two is life after the answer comes. Page two is a showcase of normalcy. When angels and dreams are few and outside opposition is not as intense as it was the day before. Page two is when an offense comes and it stunts your passion. You've been hurt by somebody, maybe someone in the church, maybe by the pastor himself. You don't feel like you used to feel. You don't feel endeared. You don't feel loved. You don't feel accepted. You don't feel wanted. You come and nobody really shakes hands with you. You stay in your pew and you're hoping that maybe somebody will come by. You stop going to other people. You just stood there and wondered, is anybody going to notice me? Turn the page. You'll find that Mary has long since left the manger. Joseph no longer feels the fear of hiding in the shadows. No one is after them. Herod is dead. And she is no longer his pregnant fiance. Overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. She's his wife bearing his children. It took an angel to keep him focused on the will of the Father. It was a divine visitation. But that was at the beginning. That was the opening scene when he was a common man betrothed to Mary. Oh, the beauty of page one. I tell you that when you're down on your luck and all your money has run out, I tell you today, you'll seek the Lord and his provision in a different way than you have, than you do when you have it good. When you got a good job, you don't really think about it. When there's money left over, you don't really groan for help from God. When you're dealing with sickness in you or in your family members, your prayers change. They become more intense and fervency. You have sweat running off your brow. You lose your voice. You're groaning. Worship and tears and the cry will be heard in the house of God. But when the healing comes and when you get what you wanted, page two begins. Those cries are often muffled or they mutate into something else. Sometimes they mutate into criticism of other people. Sometimes they mutate into judgmentalism against other people. Sometimes you become silent. Mary and Joseph, they lost Jesus. They lost him. They took their eyes off of him. Something they would have never done on page one. They had to go looking for him. And in their panic, when he wasn't there, they assumed he should be where they put him. They revealed the flaw that afflicts our thinking even today. They thought that Jesus was lost. I stand here to tell you that Jesus has never been lost. 
He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He, he wasn't the place where they thought he should be. They thought that Jesus was lost. That's the kind of thinking that we are all susceptible to on page two. But the truth is that if we are ever without the Lord, it means that we lost him. If there's ever a departure, it means that we left him. I'll say it again. If Jesus cannot be found, it's because we've turned the page as we do so often. And we do it through concessions, almost without notice. We concede our time to other things in the world. We concede our passion to a football game or a basketball team or a baseball team or a hobby or some other kind of thing. Our passion is stolen from us in our work, in our jobs, in our careers. And the cares of this life creep in and steal or desire to find him and to seek him. I'll say it by virtue of my life experience. Those that struggle in God always do so by absence. Faith wanes when we're not standing in the waters of the spirit that flow freely in this house of worship. Concessions are, are everything that fill up page two. It happens when you think that shouting is for new converts. If by permission to be your pastor today, the saints of God ought to be the first people shouting. Wait. If you've gone through any trouble and trial and the Lord brought you out and you've been serving God for a long time, you ought to be the first person that's tearing up the rug in the house. You ought to be the last person watching somebody else do it. But page two happens when you've been in the church for a little while and you're watching other people do it. It happens when you think that shouting is for a new convert or a new believer and crying is for people who are in pain. I'm going to tell you, crying is not for people who are in pain. Crying is an emotion that you love God. You just can't hold it in. And you ought to, you ought to seek God until you start shouting and until you, until you start crying. I'll tell you what happens on page two. Page two is when clapping is for people who feel good. Page two is when people give but they don't make a sacrifice anymore or when everybody's business is more important than the father's business. Because I'll stand here to say I'm going to go on a limb that there's more people in this house that read Facebook than read their Bible. I know that's true. You didn't clap on that, but I'm, I'm going to. Don't clap. I'm clapping for myself. Okay, let's go on. Because I know you know everybody's business, but you don't know the father's business. Because if you knew the father's business, you'd be out there about the father's business. What happened was you left him and you got involved in your own business and he's still in the temple trying to teach and restore. I say to the church, you better run back to page one. You better get back in love with Jesus. Now is the time. Don't let page two conflict you. I gotta get my first love back. I gotta act like I did when I first came to God. Paul saw it happen in the church in Galatia. Paul saw it. This is nothing new. Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, chapter one. He starts out, this is how Paul starts out. 
to the letter. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you to the grace of Christ. He's talking about himself. Unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. When Paul said, I marvel, that was not meant as a compliment. He's saying, I can't believe that after you've heard the truth, that you've left it for something else. Even if it's close, it's not the same, and that makes it a lie. You can call it whatever you want, a new religion, a different faith, a different gospel, but it's not a gospel at all, Paul said. It's a counterfeit filled with treachery and deceit in order to make you feel saved. But in reality, it is a, it is a deviation from the truth that was once delivered to you. Paul was emphatic. Talk about being exclusivist. Paul said, if anybody preaches anything else than what I preach, let that man be cursed. Paul said, I'll go a step beyond. If an angel floats down from heaven, hovers above the ground, starts to preach anything different than one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father above all and through all and in you all, let that angel be cursed. Because you got to get back to page one. Page one is when you repented of your sins. Page one is when you were buried in the name of Jesus. Page one is when you threw your hands up in worship and the Holy Spirit flowed over you and you spoke it out of your mouth. Page one is when you came to the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when Jesus said, I and my Father are one. That's page one. It's incredible what happens on page one. Even believers were rebaptized because <laughs> Paul found certain disciples of John the Baptist said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said, we don't even know what you're talking about. The Holy Ghost. And then, and then of course, Paul realized, well, you have even heard the first steps. Well, then how were you baptized? They said, well, we were baptized repentance. And Paul said, you need to be rebaptized in the name of Jesus. And he rebaptized them in the name of Jesus. He laid his hands on them and they all spake with tongues. The Bible says the number of the men were 12. 12 men were rebaptized by Paul in Acts chapter 19. And that's why when Paul wrote back to the church Galatia, he said in verse 7, Ye did run well. You're on page 1. Who got you to page 2 that you should not obey the truth? You were doing so good. What happened? Where did your hunger go? You started pursuing holiness, but you've made concessions, and now you're hindered. Was it friends? Was it society? Did some hypocritical person in the church make you think that you didn't need to be committed? Did someone ignore you so that you thought it would be just as well to stay at home and stop serving and stop giving your best to God? Did some fool tell you that you didn't need to have a pastor or go to a church? Did they not read Romans chapter 10 or Hebrews chapter 10 or Hebrews chapter 13? I am led today to say to someone in this house, come on back. There's wonder on page one. Come on back, honey. Come on. There's angels attending on page one. Had you been in this house on Wednesday night, you would have known that the gift of spirit started to open up on Wednesday night. We couldn't even stop. I left this house speaking in other tongues. I stood the next day in my garage, chills covered my body because I had just felt the reverberation like, the, like, the, like an earthquake, the aftershock of Wednesday night. I stood in my garage on Thursday and just felt the Shekinah glory of the Holy Spirit overflow. Come on, page one. Page one is right here. Come on, come on back. Come on back. The Lord's been waiting for you the whole time. He didn't lose his love for you. I got to say it. He didn't lose his love for you. Hey. 
Your worship is yours for the taking. Come on back. Prayer is right right here. It's your right to pray. You got a right to clap. You got a right to worship. You got a right to praise. You got a right to dance. I know that the first step is not always easy. There's a few of you that were here in October of, two, of 1999 when I first started. There's a few of you. And we just came in praising God and declared the house to be a house of healing. I've had several pastors say, well, how did the church grow? I said, well, well I'll tell you what. Tammy worked with the Sunday school people and the Sunday school people worked and I preached and I led the choir and Steve Richardson uh, taught the choir and uh, taught him songs he yelled at him a lot <laughs> he regularly offended the alto section he was also a diabetic and he'd have mood swings not a few times we had to bring him a glass of orange juice and a snicker bars at the piano while he was playing just to keep him afloat. <laughs> I practiced with the choir, led the choir, turned around and preached and we laid hands on people. Not many. But we just decided we're going to praise God anyway. The Lord put blinders on our eyes so that we didn't see all the trouble and the conflict that had preceded us. We came in with faith. And I'm going to tell you about page one. When you forget about what's happened before and what's happening right now, you put those things behind you and you serve God. I'm going to tell you, page one is a powerful place. Come on back. Come on back. You got steeped into page two. Come on back. You got disgruntled. Come on back. You got weary. Come on back. You have got conflicted with life. Come on back. The Lord is in his tabernacle. The spirit of the Lord is in his tabernacle. Uh, Brother Lyle, come and help me on the organ for a moment, would you? I feel the Holy Ghost right here, right now. It's one or two or several, but a lifeline has just been thrown. Just hook on. We won't bring you back out of the mundane routine duties and responsibilities this time for you get a fresh love of the Holy Ghost come on back he didn't leave you he didn't forsake you he didn't abandon you he didn't shut you out he didn't stop loving you his grace didn't wane and his mercy has never been depleted. He's right here today saying, come on back home. Here in the Father's house, the Father is in the Father's house. And I know that sometimes the first step is the hardest step. Look at me. I know where you're at. Look at me. Look at me. We're not in the old building where we had beams and pillars, you know, pillars. You could hide. 
There ain't no place to hide. I got reading glasses, but I'm going to get some binoculars up here just to look at your actual expression. Look at me. It's time for you to get on fire again. Don't dare let page two swallow up your life. I know life happens. I know things pile up. But there's nothing more important than putting your arms around the master and beholding the wonder and awe of his majesty. Don't let trouble chase you back to fervency. Don't let conflict and sickness finally provoke you to start again a prayer life. Because sometimes there is a pressing. But the apostle wrote about it. I press for the mark. Sometimes we have to praise our way through the mire that binds our minds and just say, this is the day the Lord hath made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know what the day is, but this, I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. That's your part, Lord. My part is to rejoice and be glad in it. Sometimes we have to reach beyond our current conflict and know that this is a temporal life. We got to get back to the wonder. We have to pray until something happens. I'll just, I'll, I'll share it with you. You probably know this already in your own life. I've gone to the altar and prayed, felt nothing. Zero, zilch. Lord, I love you. I'm saying the words. I, Lord, I want to feel your spirit. I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling anything. But I just kept there, kept on praying. Lord, I praise you because you're so good. I'm trying to think of how good he's been. Why can I not think how good you've been, Lord? You've been good. And then I start naming temporal things that mean nothing. Thank you for my shoes. Ha, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> it got off in us something a little bit deeper. Thank you for my healthy children. Then I just climbed into the deep end. Finally, by the time I got, I just kept on praying and praising. And thanking God until I finally climbed in and said, thank you, Lord, for saving me and dying. And I start to imagine the drops of blood coming from his head and from his bleeding side. It took a little while to press through that and start praising him until finally something happened to my spirit. And I transformed myself and pulled myself out of page two and got on into page one and said, I remember, Lord, what you did for me. And I want to say, thank you, Lord, for saving me.